you know, I was very um, angry as an American that we were attacked and like, yeah, go take yeah. it down their throats. Again, like I hate, you know, a lot of this stuff I hate. I don't fucking enjoy doing this, telling people like, you know, mm-hmm. I had a drinking problem, I got medically retired, I have some PTSD and depression, anxiety. Like I still struggle with that. Um, but Suffice to say, we found ourselves in the perfect storm. Yeah. By 2015, he, he was medically retired in 2013. Um, by 2015, it became, it was very evident that we had a real problem on our hands, and we were just growing more and more disconnected. I, so. I was really sitting with that and thinking, like, I don't want to give up the fight. I'm a fighter, but I don't really have a choice because I'm a mother. So what do I do? <laughs> but you're in this awakened dream state. So once your once your um, eye shades are on, like you're in the movie, and your movie is your life. I mean, it's nuts. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Good Trip Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Pella. This is a series of conversations with folks from the fields of entertainment, medicine, business, and beyond, each one with their own unique perspectives and experiences regarding psychedelics as medicine, tools of therapy, personal use, and more, all to lower the societal stigma of psychedelics and raise awareness as to what is going on in the psychedelic space. Today's guests know exactly what's going on because they are part of an incredible movement. Amber and Marcus Capone are a married couple who I got to know a couple of months ago when I performed at their gala. They are founders of VETS. I'm wearing the shirt right now. Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions. It is an organization that raises funds and helps veterans who suffer from PTSD and other traumatic issues uh, go on trips overseas for psychedelic therapy retreats and come back with just a wave of positive change, which Marcus Capone has experienced personally after serving 13 years, most of which were overseas away from his family. Uh, He came back to the States, a changed man for the worse. And it was uh, actually Amber who suggested that Marcus go on one of these psychedelic medicine therapy retreats, which changed his life and in turn has changed many more people's lives because both Marcus and Amber were inspired after that trip to found the Vets Solutions organization. You can check them out at vetsolutions.com. Let me make sure it's .com and not org. Hang on, Vet Solutions. It's org. It's org, everybody. It's org. I was wrong. Do not enter .com online. Don't do it. Vetsolutions.org. Um, I... Uh, had the incredible opportunity to meet up with Marcus and Amber down in San Diego prior to the Vets Gala, which was held uh, down in San Diego. Um, And we met up and we recorded this podcast and and I performed at the gala, which was so fun. Uh, I love these guys to death, man. I'm, I'm happy to call them friends, happy to be a part of the family. And I'm sure you all will get a whole lot out of this podcast too, as we learn and explore more about how psychedelic medicine can immediately help folks going through Uh, PTSD struggles, and beyond that, potentially getting that same medicinal practice and use of psychedelics into our uh, mainstream medicine practices. That's the whole goal. That's the goal of a lot of folks. And these folks right here are achieving their goal to help lower and end veteran suicide and help give veterans the tools and the resources they need to make themselves happier 
and better parts of society and bring themselves to a happier and better part of their lives. These are incredible people doing incredible work. I highly suggest you check out vetsolutions.org. But first, a super quick word from our sponsor, Doc Parsley's Sleep Remedy. Now, this is a product that was created by Dr. Kirk Parsley, a former Navy SEAL, who's actually on an episode of the Good Trip podcast coming out soon. And during that show, we talked a bit about his experience working with fellow veterans to get them off of prescription pills and off of sleeping pills that are so damaging to your body. And it really inspired him to create Sleep Remedy, which is a blend of different ingredients like magnesium, 5-HTP, L-tryptophan, and melatonin, all of which are meant to combine and mimic your body's natural progression into sleep. So if you have trouble sleeping at night, falling asleep, relaxing into sleep, or, or if you wake up feeling not fully energized and refreshed from a good night's sleep, I highly recommend checking out docparsley.com slash brents to get a discount on Doc Parsley's sleep remedy, which comes as either tea that you can have before bed or capsules if you're not into drinking liquids before bed. And I highly recommend it. I had a great night's sleep last night. You could tell because of how much I'm smiling right now. Do you see the smile? That's a good smile, baby. That's a good sleep smile. And that came from Doc Parsley's Sleep Remedy, which I have had such a good time integrating into my overall wellness routine. So again, docparsley.com slash Brent for a discount. The Good Trip Podcast also brought to you by Odyssey. Odyssey is a sparkling caffeinated beverage that I absolutely love. It comes in four flavors. It's got 85 milligrams of caffeine from green tea, and it's got 2,500 milligrams of mushrooms. Not magic mushrooms, but don't let that deter you because these mushrooms are meant to sharpen your focus, your creative edge, and your ability to get through your day and accomplish all your tasks with clean, smooth energy, no jitters, no anxiety, none of that. You can trust me because I have at least one of these every day. Odyssey is a sparkling mushroom elixir that you can find on Amazon and online at odysseyelixir.com and in various stores across the country, Albertsons, CVSs, um, and a couple others. You can go to odysseyelixir.com. There's a store locator, and you can also order online from their website. Highly, highly recommend you check out Odyssey Elixir. It is delicious. And right now, please enjoy this uninterrupted trip with Amber and Marcus Capone. Guys, how are you? How you doing? So good to see you. You look. Why do you look so good? You look like too good. <laughs> I feel like I don't look good. I'm wearing a, a shirt that I haven't washed in three days. It's you guys look so good. Mirrors. We're playing dress up right now. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. This is going to be a cool weekend. I'm so excited to be here. This is going to be epic. Yeah. So yeah. You, so this is your this is the second uh, year that you've done this event? Yep. The first year uh, was last year. We had Tim Ferriss host a panel on stage between Rick Doblin and Rick Perry. So wow. that kind of set the stage. It was like Rick squared. And um, it, it was sort of set the stage for... Well, it's, it's very indicative of our entire mission. Yeah, like, it was actually incredible because Rick Doblin, like, flies, like, way over here. Like, yeah. Like, Vietnam, like, you know. He, he called himself on stage a draft dodger. A draft dodger, right? And Rick Doblin got, did? Yeah. yeah. And That's then hilarious. Rick Perry, right, like, flew, like, gunships or AC-130s. Uh, but he flew, you know. And uh, here they are on stage, like, talking about the same thing and getting along. And it was actually pretty fucking cool. See, we can <laughs> get along. All, all you need is some... Mushrooms, and that can get everybody. You know <laughs> that's what I mean. Start. Yeah, that's the beginning. <laughs> now you're you're. I I, I do want to um, give people a little bit of the backstory. I know a bit about your story. Okay. Uh, and, and and then we can dive into all the other fun things. Yeah. Um, you were a seal. Yeah. I was thirteen. Not years. the animal. The 
position. Uh, yeah. There's plenty out here. It's yeah. Like <laughs> five minute walk. Um, I was. Uh, I graduated um, Southern Illinois in 2000. 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, got Amber pregnant. Um, I got pregnant before you graduated. Congratulations. Pregnant. Wait, hold up. Got pregnant. Details don't matter. Graduated, <laughs> had Caden, enlisted. Wow. In, in that order. So it was nice. an exciting year. And then 9-11 happened. And then 9-11 happened. Oh, wow. That was right leading up to that. So you were going to enlist prior to 9-11 happening. And pri- uh, prior to that, um, you know, I didn't know what I want to do at 22. I didn't want to put a shirt and tie on and step mm-hmm. off in the private. I didn't, I didn't, I mean, all I did was play ball growing up. And so it scared the crap out of me. Football? Football, baseball, mm-hmm. basketball, you know, swimming, skiing, all, you know, all of it. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, you know, so the, the SEAL teams were like, really intriguing and and um yeah it was just what i wanted to do and when when you um first joined you became a breacher so i read that i, I became i became a breacher mm-hmm. and what a breacher is uh, you know everybody goes through the selection which is buds and um that's six months and then you go to advanced training and that's like six months and then you finally get to your seal platoon and you you work up for two years and you do all these different type of skills and um, you, you know, you start getting attracted to certain things that you want to do. So some individuals, you know, grew up in the South and the Midwest and they shot, you know, long guns their whole life and they become snipers and others um, uh, are, are kind of dumb and they just want to kick down doors and beat people <laughs> up. And that's, that was me. I was a, I was a breacher. He's very good at beating people up. <laughs> uh-huh. No, um, but um, it, so a breacher does a lot with explosives and I really enjoyed kind of that part of the whole game and and i want to learn more about it and so um but it is not just all explosives there's a lot of other things but it is a breacher is getting into places that you know you can't just get into with a key yeah and your brain is probably getting throttled more than other positions right i would would assume it is it is unless you bring those guys close to you Mm -hmm. and then their brain gets rocked too oh great and then you can share and i got that yeah we share so you know (laughs) um and uh yeah so i was you know i was a breacher for a couple years um well i mean for my whole career Uh (laughs) you know but i always say that because i always feel bad you know i I did 13 years and i have friends that literally are going on their 30th year of being wow you know what i mean like so um but yeah that's what i did yeah that's awesome so and and that was a 13 year period yeah Mm -hmm. um at, at what point during those 13 years did you start to feel any type of like negative energy start to come up? Anxiety, depression, anything yeah. like that? Did that start within those thirteen years? It it did. Um, I would say it started probably around uh, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. You know, you know, two thousand five was tough because that's when you know um, all, the whole lone survivor uh, incident happened, and mm-hmm. you know, Marcus, um, you know, Marcus's ordeal, and that was my task unit, and so you know, we lost almost half our, our sister platoon. And so that was like really tough. And at the time, um, nobody knew really anything. It was like the largest loss of life in, in, in kind of seal history at one event in, in one event. Um, and so, you know, the, at that time, uh, they thought it'd be a good idea to send a psychologist out to talk to the individuals, um, thinking like, Oh, we're just, you know, we'll, we'll shuffle guys through every 30 minutes. And I think the first individual, went for over three hours. You know what I mean? So wow. like we weren't prepared, yeah. right? Like yeah. it just that basically what it said is like, 
we had no idea what this was going to be like. And yeah. so, you know, that was really tough because at that time we thought we were all invincible. It was still early, like 2005. And then we realized like, holy shit, like dudes can die doing this. Yeah. Um, so it just kind of shifted your perspective a little bit. And then, you know, and then, and then, and then it went on, but I'd say around 2008, mm-hmm. um, like I just, you know, Amber and I weren't doing well. A lot of deployments. We were a gone. Series of deaths. Yeah. Too. Like, like every deployment, at least one guy wasn't coming home, and in many cases, multiple guys wouldn't come home, or they would come home really wrecked, you know, hurt really badly, and um, it it definitely felt like Russian roulette. It yeah. Was, it was pretty intense. 2008, um, Marcus was actually at an outstation, and he was set to do a swim, um, set to do a swim that his one of his best friends from Bud's training ended up doing and he died doing the swim. And so what, what do you mean by uh, swim? Um, so, um, there was a, a, there was a river in Afghanistan that, um, was nestled ac- uh, along, uh, in the Northeastern part of the country of Afghanistan. And we were trying to figure out a way to get across this river. And it was like a class five rapids. And, um, I went up there to try to figure out like if we can get across this thing and it was super gnarly. And uh, my buddy wind up being the guy to try to swim across the river. And we wind up finding his body 12 hours later, um, you know, like 50 clicks away um, because it was just, you know, it's like one of those things. And so, you know, just a lot of these things um, at the time, you kind of, you just, you know, you brush it off and you move on, but there, you know, it, it definitely weighs on you, you know? Yeah. And, and sometimes you think like, could I have done anything? different could it could that have been me should it have been me um you know and and you know i i was never um i mean i did everything in my opinion quote unquote not not right but um i just kept going like everybody else does and it's always like when you take a break and it's like when i took a break it's almost like everything just stopped Mm -hmm. and it, it, it got a little bit more challenging um but you know going back to your question I think in 2008, you know, that's you, when I started noticing problems. Yeah, for and, sure. and, and yeah. you and I weren't doing well, and I think it just had to do with a lot of this, you know. And Amber would say, like, dude, every time you come back, you're like, you're like a different person. Well, he's completely yeah. checked out. Sure. So we, we went to marriage counseling. I think twice. We both, twice that we walked out of there, I think we were like yelling at each other, like storm to our cars. I continue I'm like, to I'm go. Never, <laughs> I'm not going to this bullshit again. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh-huh. ter- terrible. Um, so I was like the first, and then I started seeing my own like therapist. Then um, they had a command sc- psychologist, and I think that was just like a check in the box, like, hey, you have to go see this. Well, team. that that also sounds like the psychologist that they set out to talk to people for thirty minutes each, Probably and the then same. somebody went for three hours. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like maybe the structure wasn't even there at the time. Uh, yeah, it, it was like laying fresh tracks, though. Like there was nothing. It, it was really a first. Yeah, it's no fault to anyone. Like, yeah. we're talking about, yeah. you know, we always go back to the VA. Like, everyone's always trying to dig, especially in interviews. Like, oh, the VA's bad. And it's like, well, no. Like, everyone there actually really cares. They just might not know or yeah. they might not be allowed to. Yeah. They're doing the best they can, learning as they go. Yeah. I think that now the supports that um, military members have now are great. They did not necessarily exist when Marcus was active duty. So you were learning as he was going at yeah. the same time. What, what was that like? Yeah. And also like having these realizations that, oh, you can die doing this. I remember being so naive. He was in Bud's training and, you know, this all came about very abruptly. Um, we didn't plan on having a baby. So that was a real curveball. And then all of a sudden we're married. He's at Bud's. And I remember thinking, like, I just have to get through this six months that was the, like the easiest part mm-hmm. of his entire 13 years in the military Not for, for me. me for me yeah. 
Um, well, Bud, Bud, okay, hang on. That Bud, wasn't the easiest part for me. I pitched, so I, I, I do uh, content with Black Rifle, like you guys know, and I'm pitching them uh, a video where I try to do Buds. Do it. But, like, I'm, al- I'm already regretting the pitch. I mean, can I be your instructor? I'd be great. I mean, yeah, I would, I would love, love that. for somebody that knows me and, like, cares a little bit about me to JT be my instructor. and I would be very nice to you. Yeah. <laughs> do well, it. What was one of the hardest, like, physical activities in Buds that you did? Because I know it's insanity. I know it's crazy. All the water stuff was great. I loved being in the water. So for me, that was that was fine. Um, the running, I just like I I just put my head down and, and like ran hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that didn't that didn't really affect me. Uh, there was like two times of buds that like really sucked. One, I was like completely dehydrated. Maybe I didn't eat. But they did this thing called I think it was called the, the elephant walk, where you're 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 not carrying the boats in your head. You're like carrying them like by a handle. Yeah. And you're supposed to like continuously keep up with the front boat like you're supposed to touch the other boat and oh, i was just man. i was done like i bonked you know and i'm like i'm like pu- almost pulling it back and like the rest of the boat crew is like pushing forward i'm like guys like i'm bonked like i can't like i'm smoked right now like i just need to like keep yeah, moving yeah, yeah yeah so like i remember that because it was like i was really having trouble keeping up that day or that evolution and then one other time one of the uh corman and second phase which is die phase at corman you know like your medic uh, but he was an instructor. I was like, "Hey, I can't, I can't clear my nose and my sinuses." And we had dives. Like, you have to, you have to be able to clear in order to dive. And he gave me um, some kind of, you know, uh, afrin or something that, to clear it up. But you're only supposed to take like a certain amount. And I, re- I remember specifically, like he gave me, you know, he was like, "Yes, yeah, six sprays in each nose or something crazy." And I'm like, "I think that's a lot." Well, those six sprays were so much because we went right ahead and did the obstacle course and i was able to do the o course really quickly and easily but then we had to put on a a pack i don't remember what the weight was and then you after you do the o course you hump it three miles you drop the pack and then you do the obstacle course again oh god well on the three mile hump (laughs) you're making me tired no it's crazy but (laughs) don't worry you're gonna do it all in your video (laughs) usually like putting weight on my back is like nothing like i just i just go but this day again like i bonked like i got a mile into it and I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Like my heart's going to explode. Guys were passing me that like, were looking at me like what the hell's wrong with him? And I remember this one guy in class, you know, um, awesome individual, Ben Souders, like gets up next to me. He's like, Marcus, what's going on? I'm like, I have no fucking idea. I'm just, (laughs) I'm bonked right now. He's like, you know what? I'm going to run next to you this whole way and just make sure you finish. I'm like, you're wow. And he did. He freaking, and he could have just took, took off. Yeah. Yeah. He sat, he stood, he he got right next to me and we both kind of jogged in, dropped our pack and I was just shaking my head. Like, you know, what's going on? So anyway, those two times, like I thought I was going to die. And these are stories that I knew nothing about. So this goes to show like how much I, like our lives were completely separate. I felt like he was living two lives. Right. I was living like groundhog day and, um, I was having these realizations like at the very worst times, like, oh shit, this wasn't just six months. This is like indefinite and oh shit, guys really can die doing this because at some point I thought like, wow, these guys are so like, they're invincible. Like they don't die. I don't know what it is. They just don't die. And no one in our community was prepared for, uh, June 28th, whenever we lost like 11 guys, I think in one incident. Yeah. That's a, that's huge. Yeah, yeah that was huge. 2005. 2005, and that mm-hmm. was yeah. just like this 
massive realization in a very short amount of time that this was serious. The war was serious. And mm. I always supported Marcus. I always supported him in any goal um, that he had and his desire to become a SEAL. And I was like actually really stoked for him that he got to go overseas and fight. I was, you know, I was very um, angry as an American that we were attacked and like, yeah, go take yeah. it down their throats. Um, yeah, that's why Amber said, oh, this is indefinite. I was like, yeah, this is indefinite. This, <laughs> yeah. is, this is great. I get to, you know, I get to do this with my buddies. And I get to preach. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I get to preach. And, yeah. and that feeling, certainly, it was replaced with these realizations of like, oh my gosh, this could be us. And so you just sort of live in this, um, this world of like having your black dress ready, having your slideshow ready, having <sighs> your plan ready mm-hmm. in case you get the knock on the door. Yeah, that's heavy. The closest mm-hmm. I've been to the military is watching American Sniper with the volume on really, really loud. Mm-hmm. And it's it didn't movie. give me anywhere near those emotions. But <laughs> I can try to relate, <laughs> but I can't. There's yeah. a lot of good movies. There's a lot of good movies, Blackout dude. Really Marcus's good. favorite is G.I. Jane. It's how he Stop became it. a SEAL. What is, which, is which one? January G.I. Jane? Jane. Oh, G.I. Jane. Yeah, starring Jane Pickett Smith. Him to yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> dude, I just shot a rifle uh, for the first time. Um, I had shot handguns before. I shot a rifle for the first time. I hit a thousand yards. You're kidding. I hit a thousand yards. Isn't that cool? Isn't that crazy? Wow. It, was, it felt so fun. I was yeah. like, oh my God, I have to fun. do this more. Yeah. What do you like shooting more? The, the, uh, like a handgun or a rifle? Rifle. Do you really? Yeah. See, I'm the opposite. Really? Yeah. What, why, why for you? I think because I'm lazy and I think okay. it's just much easier to like have this like little pistol that I can carry on. Like it a, is like, real quick. Done, it's like, you know, you have like a second like dick on your, hi- right. on your hip. Exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. But the rifle was like, I don't know. There's something really meditative about like lining up the shot, taking a breath, dialing in. It's, it is. You could do you a know? video about that meditating while you're shooting. I know. I actually, I had an idea because um, I just went hunting for the very first time with uh, a couple of the black rifle guys. And um, I, I had an idea when I was there. I want to go back and shoot it. It's a Los Angeles guy goes hunting for the first time. <laughs> and he's got his shot up on the deer. And he's like, wait, wait, hang on a second. And he takes his beads off and he puts them on the barrel. And he goes, all right, now the shot is aligned. He <laughs> 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 so I got to do that. I love that. Yeah. Amber has a good video. Um, she shot a belt fed. I did. I think. What is it? Oh, the, 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 the belt. The fed, fed by the belt. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's wild. I did was... Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, no, shoot again. And she puts it down. She's like, no. She's like, I don't. Ha-. She gets up and goes, turns around the camera. And she goes, I don't have the need for speed like you guys. She's like, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, dude, I didn't grow up with guns. I didn't right, grow yeah. up around with a military family with anything even remotely like that. I didn't either. Like you, my parents were hippies. Yeah. Um, and they went to Woodstock and, mm-hmm. you know, they bathed in mud. And oh, dude, my mom. Did a lot of acid and yeah. the rest of it. She brought me to dead shows. I don't know what was in my blood at age two, but whatever it was, I'm here now and I'm grateful. There's a picture. I joke about this that, um, that I saw growing up, but it's my mom. It's like in the se- well, I was 76. So it's in the, it's in 76 and she's got like a full, she's got, I love you mom. Really nine I love you pregnant. mom. Cause she's here. Um, she's got a full belly. So obviously I'm in there. And in one hand, she's got like a cigarette and the other hand, she has like a, you know, uh, like Johnny Walker black, <laughs> And I always say, like, she stunted my growth, obviously. So. <laughs> obviously, you could have been seven, eight instead of six, eight. That's great. Uh, did, did you, what, w- what was the atmosphere like growing up uh, around drugs? Did you guys grow up with the D.A.R.E. program? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. You, you said you're from the Midwest, mm-hmm. and, and you're from kind Long of island. nearby. Yeah, Long Beach, New York. Oh, New York. That's, that's right. That was the mm-hmm. island, not this island. Um, so growing up, I mean, the stigma was wild. Yeah, I mean, we were the only, so I went to uh, public school, 
through eighth grade, and I went to all boys Catholic high school, like Notre Dame brothers in Queens and Flushing Queens, where my dad went in the '60s. And the Long Island kids, there was about five or six of us that played football on Long Island. We all got recruited to play at Holy Cross. So the Long Island kids that went to school in Queens, like we were the only kids that like we drank beer. Yeah. And all the other kids that we went to school with in Queens, like smoked pot. And we're like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, they're so bad. Like, why is there such a difference? But like, that's, it was the difference. It was, yeah, you know, it's just the way yeah. it was. And yeah. I grew up absolutely in the dare era. Um, I had friends that smoked pot and I didn't, you know, mm -hmm. I would be in a car full of people getting high and I would be like, no, you know, I don't need, Same. Don't need to do that. Yeah. I didn't smoke until I was 18. And, and then not again after that until I was like 23. Uh, and then I started experimenting around 24, 25. So, so I was the same way. Like, I think years. I tried it for the first time in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. I was there for a month, like once. I didn't even know what, what it was. And yeah. then uh, not really again, a little bit in college um, with the bros on the football team. And then when I found out I wanted to be a SEAL, I read in one of the books from Vietnam that SEALs don't do drugs. Mm -hmm. And from that day forward, that was it for the next 14 years. There was years. plenty of drinking going on in the SEAL Right. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I'm sorry. There's yeah. no drugs. So there was just yeah. yeah. There was just alcohol. And a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of It was of all that. in good measure. Yeah. Um, and we were burning out. Yeah. I mean, like everything kind of revolved around alcohol. Like you celebrate, you drink, you, someone dies, you drink. God. You and, mistake, and alcohol is such a downer. Totally. It's such a downer. Yeah. Especially, I mean, to already have symptoms in in the late 20 or the early 2010s uh as you were kind of entering your last few years of service right yeah yeah i mean yeah i don't know you know i i struggle with it because even like you know a drink or two is like good um but like everything else like good. everything in moderation yeah you know, like yeah 10 or 12 are probably not that good well yeah Marcus Andrew Huberman would tell so you one drink is not good for you. Yeah. Marcus and so many of his former teammates have this like all or nothing attitude so when he goes he goes sure um, there's really no throttle. Probably back. like you, on and off. Yeah, two, two switches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. On yeah. off, no mid. On off, high, nothing. Yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> uh, so, so during those um, last couple years, you, you were starting to see big changes from him. In a we really weren't together that much. So the little like glimpses of him that I would get, I would be like, this isn't good. This isn't good. But when it happens slowly over time, and you're really not together for sometimes 300 days a year. It's okay, so that's kind of what the cadence was for you. You'd be gone ninety percent of the year. Or a lot, like that. Yeah, yeah, a lot. And a lot of times it'd be you know a week back a week. You know, gone two weeks back a week. Gone three, a three weekend. or four weeks back a week. Yeah, mm. I mean it was. Wow, that was from day one, pretty much. Wow. Yeah. So you really, know, I mean, you come home and go like, "Where's the glasses? Where's the?" Who's deciding week? that schedule? Are is it at the mercy of of it's others? A, it's Do a you? mixture. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's a mixture of like. Here's here's your training block for two years, and you know whoever's in charge, your leader, your senior leaders are trying to fill that schedule up. But mm -hmm. you know if you don't fill it up, as a senior leader, you might be looked on by your leader, that by those leaders above them. Like, yeah, what are you guys doing? Why yeah. aren't you training? And yeah, you know, so like yeah. you just, let's just shove everything we can as much as we can, you know, into um, a short. My perception wow. too is that. Um, 
if you were if you didn't want to be looked at as like a bad seal you said yes to everything and then mm. the more you're gone the more discontent there is within the family and so that when you come home you don't fit in so you want to be gone even more so it's like this self licking yeah. wow. ice cream cone it should yes. be it, yeah. it's not a married lifestyle like by any means like you yeah. should not be married before you, you shouldn't say should not be but i don't i mean difficult. i don't think you should be because well okay <laughs> it is very difficult. We were. Well, we were, but like I don't think it's you know it's better because like you said because then you do have the option to go to this school and that school and this school mm. and you can decide to stay home and not learn or and get better or you can go to these schools and learn and get better mm -hmm. just like you're trying to be you know you're trying to be an expert at your profession. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to is to is to learn and work and 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 travel because that's where most of these like schools and and things were at and so it's very hard if you have a family to try to balance you know when you're just starting out to prove yourself and 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 become this you know warrior to then go okay well i'm going to balance my family life you know at the Ooh, same time yeah. while i'm trying to be an wow. expert in something it's just it's very difficult like it doesn't work like yeah. honestly like the math doesn't work is it a mathematical equation? It's totally a mathematical equation. It sounds like equation. a mathematical equation. <laughs> <laughs> we leave it up to the economists uh -huh. to tell you. Like, no, this doesn't work. So yeah. what, what were some of the moments that kind of made you think that something was actually more wrong than typical in years past? So, um, oh, there were a lot. It's hard to pick one. Sure. But I would say that when we left Virginia beach and he, um, left, sh uh, what do you call that? What? Shore duty? No, you went on shore duty. I went on shore duty. You went on shore duty from yeah. active duty. Anyway, um, we left Virginia beach. He came out here to San Diego and became a buds instructor, seal training instructor. And, um, then we were together all the time and that was really difficult. So I definitely started to realize then that we had a problem and I didn't know if it was a relational problem. Like, you know, we just didn't get along anymore or, he um, d didn't want to be around anymore. Like I, it, it, I just knew there was a problem. Yeah, and definitely a drinking problem. And uh, did you did you guys talk about therapies during that time? Like typical therapies? Are you seeing a psychiatrist? Were you were you discussing like any types of treatments? I, I think. Well, no, we were because I was going. I mean, I was seeing like the he was psychologist out thing. here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was doing his thing and. I don't think either one of us had really much of a will for the relationship. He was taking care, trying to take care of himself, yeah. and I was doing my own thing. We weren't. I really wasn't interested in marriage counseling at that. Right, but right. I, but I was getting frustrated because, like, you know, one of the individuals I worked with was just like, "Hey, you, like, you should go. You know, you should go talk to somebody if you're, you're struggling." And so it just like it, nothing seemed to be falling into place at that time. It was yeah. just like you know, work sucked, home sucked. Everything sucks. This person I'm talking to sucks. Everything this next sucks. person sucks right. even more. And so like, <laughs> yeah. is that a uh, reflection of the external environment? Or is there like <laughs> something, <laughs> or is there something going on inside that's not working right now? And that, I mean, obviously that's what was going on because I like, I didn't have, which I thought was, I wanted to have a relationship with the kids and Amber and like that just didn't happen being home. So I don't know what was when, happening. When you're, you, you were speaking with therapists and psychiatrists, psycholo mm -hmm. psychologists uh, yeah. during well, I mean, those 2010. Yeah, psychiatrists can uh, prescribe medicine, psychologists right. can't, so you kind of see both. Yeah, yeah. And, and were you finding it first? I mean, I would assume it's got to be incredibly hard to relate to somebody's experience the way that a psychiatrist or psychologist would try to, relate to yours and talk to you it, 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 did you find like a barrier in between 
your communication with folks like that that just couldn't really be like crossed? You know, I think most of the people that I spoke to were trained, like were trauma trained or were like veteran trauma trained. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like they did, they did understand, but like I went through so many of them because it's just the, the system's just fragmented, you know? And so I couldn't even tell you how many different individuals I spoke to. Why, why so many? Is that just the way the system's set up? I, I think the system's set up because I went back and forth from seeing like either a, a, like a psychologist on active duty and then I'd see some like out in town that were not, you know. Mm. Uh, there were doctors mixed in there. There's the VA mixed in there. Then there's all sorts of rotation. You know, I mean, people it sounds getting, like, like so much. The military, you're always moving like sometimes every two years or, you know. Yeah, and, and that was definitely after when I got out, seeing like just everybody. But even while I was in, I mean, I got prescribed my first uh, antidepressant in 2010. And I didn't come off them for seven years. And I was on like all different types. And I felt, you know, you know, again, maybe that attributed to a lot of it because you know, you take one, it doesn't work, or you forget to take it, and then you climb up the walls, you know, because it's, like, insane when you don't take your medication once yeah. you start taking them. And then they switch you to something else, so they increase the dosage. You know, then you try that, and then something happens there. And then they put something else in because you're like, hey, I can't really sleep too well. So, like, here, go back on Ambien, even though I, I know you used to take Ambien while you are on deployment and mix it with, like, bourbon. <laughs> um, you know, and then that didn't work. And you're like, man, I'm tired. And like, okay, you can't focus. Well, here, here's New Vigil and here's Pro Vigil. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, this stuff's great, except it gives me fucking pounding migraine headaches. You know, so, like, all this just crap I've dealt with for, like, the next seven years, and it was just getting frustrating, you know. And then, and then Amber, once I was out, um, I went to my, well, I went to NICO, my first brain, brain clinic while I was in, and that was a bit frustrating because they, cause they tell you like something's wrong, but they're like, okay, now here, go paint um, <laughs> go over here and paint, do some yoga Here's and your then pastels. Like, go oh, paint a sunset. Like, oh, we really, you know, don't, <laughs> don't do anything for that. And they're like, here's some more meds. Oh, you breached a village. Yeah. Here's a, <laughs> go paint a mountain. You know? Here's some bubbles. Here's so, a Bob Ross um, video for you to watch yeah. Yeah. for 20 minutes yeah. while you think oh, about the yeah <laughs> that hair i mean now i think we get it but the condition that he was in like now no, we didn't some know of those like mindfulness sure, things sure, sure. helpful but at the time like you just you go from go one from thing like, to the next you know the front lines of war to something like i had that. friends yeah. that went to nyco clinic i won't mention their two names on here who literally started like a band at the clinic like started making believe they're playing the drums and they were like wild. hey you two idiots have to stop and they're like oh no this is hilarious this is <laughs> you know so then you have people that not taking any of it seriously right had, right had one friend who we had to paint these um, masks and it was kind of like representation of yourself it was kind of sad when you looked on the wall all these masks had like tears and like cracked images and you're like okay obviously everyone's coming here is like fucked up yeah. right well my buddy put um he took like clay and he um, he made a dick out of it, and he like put it on the forehead, and like popped it up on the wall. I'm like, oh, he's definitely not taking this seriously, <laughs> you know. So just like stuff like that. Yeah. Like, hey, do you like help us, or just we're just gonna fuck around? That right. was right before Marcus got out. So I was sort of like, oh, he's at this really comprehensive, um, you know, medical experience. He's gonna come home, and things are gonna be great. Again, very naive. That was 2012, 2013. Mm, yeah, yeah. Like that. 11, 12. yeah, exactly. 2012. Yeah. Um, and then. You know, you're thinking, well, let's see. 
we left Virginia Beach and things just got really bad. And so we thought we'll go back to Virginia Beach because we know how to survive in dysfunction. We don't know how to be normal, but we know how to like live really crazy. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of the plan. And then there was another helicopter crash. And this time it wasn't 11, it was 31 individuals. Mm -hmm. And at that point it was like a lot of guys that Marcus worked with, friends of ours, people he went through training with. And it was like, this is Russian roulette all over again you're just reminded like if we go back into this environment this is what we're signing up for again and so he's yeah we're like no he was like mm -hmm. maybe i should just get out again very naive like oh yeah we'll just get out we'll just be normal we'll go for bike rides and it'll be great yeah i just wanted to run like as fast as i could away from everything yeah and uh, when i went to um like i was trying to get my stuff to get out and the the psychologist that i was seeing like regularly was like dude, don't like, there's zero chance. Like I'm letting you leave. Like you got a lot of shit going on. He's like, your medical record is like bigger than like the odyssey. And yeah. so, um, they wouldn't let me get out. He's like, you, you, um, are actually a candidate for a medical retirement. I'm like, really? Okay. What does that mean? He's like, well, like you just, like, I need to, you know, I need to make sure that when you get out, like you're not just like, we don't just spill you on the street. There's no healthcare, right, you know? there's no right, paycheck. Right, right, like, you know? And there's a lot of that, right? I mean, I, one on one hand, like I hated it. On the other hand, like I feel a little bit lucky because like it was trying to take Because you of had me. somebody that had yeah, your back. Yeah, and so. How, do you think there's a large number of people that do what you were trying to do that just kind of run? Absolutely. Without I, any I know plenty of them. I know yeah. guys that contact me now and they're like, dude, I just like, I didn't even tell anybody. Like I just. You know, I just separated. I got the thing out. is, like, you have to do 20 years in the military to be eligible for military retirement. So it's like a pension. Mm -hmm. um, if you come in at 18, you're 38 and you're technically retired. So you have the whole second half of your life to live. And that's, you know, the, for this generation of soldier that has done 20 years of sustained combat, they really can't get out in their, you know, late 30s, early 40s or 50s and be normal and like have the capacity to go on and totally reinvent themselves. But um, Marcus got out at 13. And once you hit that 10 year threshold, you're like, well, I'm halfway to military retirement. Every year that goes by, it becomes more and more difficult to, you know, come to terms with getting out. It's like, just a few more years but mm -hmm. he was so burnt out and so many guys in his generation um did that between 12 and 14 years yeah they there was a time like, actually that I were, yeah that, that, at that time we're like got out i mean it was like Med medically retired or just took off all of it like medically all, retired yeah. separated i mean there was i think 14 uh lieutenant commanders oh fours that got out like right at the same time which was like crazy mm -hmm. you know like everything else like leadership wasn't uh, going well guys were burnt out um it's just a whole host of things right yeah like you can't never the, like this nail guy, one thing yeah th this guy said you your your medical record was wild and and could lead to medical retirement what what were some of the things on your medical record like just what like head to biggest? toe like a lot of like, head to toe yeah, things like was there of, anything like a lot of physical injuries a lot and, and then no but really like all the mental injuries right like i got medically retired for fucking ptsd and yeah. tbi yeah. traumatic brain injury right yeah and so i was like what like Fuck PTSD. That's bullshit. Nobody has that. I mean, literally. So to this day, yeah. I will sit here and be like, whatever. I don't, yeah. But. Well, that was certainly part of, like, our whole struggle. Like, fast forward, if, you know, he's out now and, and things are really getting bad. And we moved to Texas where the wheels totally come off. And 
the, the only diagnosis that he's been given is PTSD. And I'm like, yeah, there's just something about the PTSD diagnosis that doesn't resonate with me because what I'm seeing here is not like he's, he's conflicted about anything he did overseas. Like if anything, I thought he had kind of like a serial killer mindset <laughs> of like, can't wait to go back. Like it wasn't normal to, to thrive in a war environment. Right. But, it, but to he, me, but it was to but him. But even joking about the PTSD thing, I 100% had the symptoms. So like I was utterly depressed. I had right. like massive anxiety. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, um, th you know, those things I definitely had. So if people want to say, well, these are the symptoms of PTSD, then like that's, you know, that's what you get, PTSD. Yeah. But of course, you know, we all know now that PTSD and mild traumatic brain injury, like all the symptoms overlap. So nobody really knows, like is a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, maybe it's both, maybe it's a bunch of shit that happened before you went in the military and now some of this stuff exasperated a bit. Mm -hmm. Exasper exasperated? Exacerbated. Exacerbated? Well, Exhausted? I was like, we can make up a new one if you want. <laughs> um, you know, so again, like I hate, you know, a lot of this stuff I hate. I like, don't fucking enjoy doing this and telling people like, you know, mm -hmm. I had a drinking problem. I got medically retired. I have some PTSD and depression, anxiety. Like I still struggle with that. Um, but Suffice to say, we found ourselves in the perfect storm. Yeah. By 2015, he, he was medically retired in 2013. Um, by 2015, it became, it was very evident that we had a real problem on our hands and we were just growing more and more disconnected. I didn't think so. Um, it was, it was escalating and. Well, and, and now you're the one who brought Ibogaine into the conversation. Is that right? Ish. Ish. Yeah. Yes. Um, to him. Yes. But someone brought it to me. Right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah. Who in their right mind would do that? Right. <laughs> so how, how did you come across Ibogaine. I mean, I know about Ibogaine because all my friends are a part of that world too, but but coming from your background and it, I would assume we were, we, were looking, we were looking for answers. Like yeah. it, it started like just getting worse. Then it just then it just got bad. Like I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't talk to my friends. I wasn't answering messages. I wasn't getting out of bed. Like it was just getting to that point where yeah. you know, and I tell people now like I don't wish depression on anyone. It is a motherfucker, like like real depression. Um, and so that's when I think Amber was like, well, I don't know what else to do. Like you've done now hyperbaric oxygen therapy, you've done uh, TMS, you've done all these things. You're just like, getting angrier and worse and frustrated. And so I think that's when, like, okay, what else can we do? What else is out there that could potentially figure this issue out? He was really putting in the work and that's when I was sort of having these epiphanies. Like, I don't really think it's PTSD because he would go back overseas in a second and he loved his job and he loved his teammates. And so, you know, where we were at at that point was he had no purpose, no passion, no community, no paycheck. He was dealing with everything from childhood trauma to prob probably definitely war trauma, the head trauma. And it was just this, it, it was this, Ugh, it was awful. Mm -hmm. So um, he was seeing psychologists, whatever. He was put on medications. Things were just getting worse, and I was getting more and more frustrated. Around 2016, um, a former teammate of his, he probably took his life in 2015, but an article came out in 2016 that said he had a pattern of blast injury found post-mortem in his brain, and they thought that it could be linked to uh, his suicide similar to what NFL players 
were struggling with. And then I started to really think like, but same thing. He was like functioning, like nobody really knew. It wasn't like, Oh, he's like, he's damaged. Right. Like, no, it was like, he was okay. And then he like started to decline a little bit. And then like, it was like one day poof. Yeah. He's gone. Right. So it wasn't like, Oh, this dude was like locked up for three years and like, Oh, everyone's like, Oh yeah, he's going down that road and he's going to, yeah, it was a surprise. Suicide is always a surprise, but there's, but this, this one was certainly a very big shock. Um, but luckily his brain was uh, donated by his wife and she was kind enough to share the results with our community. And it, for the first time I was like, Oh shit, like this, this is not a purely psychological condition. Marcus has 15 years of history playing football, um, 13 years history as a breacher. This can't be good. He's going through all the same symptoms. And so then I started getting him into brain clinics and I thought, this is it. The brain clinics are going to do the trick. The medication won't, the brain clinics will. And uh, he went through five, I think, and they were really great with diagnostics, not so great with the follow-on. They're really good at collecting money, too. Sure. Not yeah. so Lots great with the, yeah. like, what to actually what do to, to, do? to yeah. get better. So they could tell you, hey, you got a bad brain. Yeah. Here's a uh, here's, check. Here's six hundred dollars right. a month of supplements you yeah. should take. Your brain sucks. Here's our Venmo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. So um, he was actually at three places here uh, in California, and we were living in Texas. And I came out to visit him, and it was clear that this was not going to get any better. And so shortly before that, sort of what prompted me to get him into these three places was our daughter said to me, Mom, how much longer do we have to do this? And it became very clear that I was going to have to make a choice as, you know, their mom and his wife that I was going to choose my our kids and I had decided to leave him and I knew what that would mean for me and for them that they would probably live the rest of their lives without their dad and so um, I was really sitting with that and thinking like I don't want to give up the fight I'm a fighter but I don't really have a choice because I'm a mother so what do I do <laughs> and about a year prior one of Marcus's former teammates had uh, his his wife had actually contacted me about his trip to Mexico and how life-changing it was. And so I reached back out to them and said, you know, if I can convince Marcus to do this, can you help me make it happen? And they did. Um, so I approached him in a way that I had never done before. Instead of using anger and guilt and condemnation and threats and, you know, all of the bad things, I approached him in love and said that I would continue to fight for him um, but he had to fight with me. And so he agreed to do it. But I think he was like, this is nuts. It's not going to work. Nothing has worked. What, were, has what were you like when, when Ibogaine was brought up as a, as a possible like treatment solution or treatment option even? I thought it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it was nuts. I mean, <laughs> I, can I put these in? No way. Because they're out. I have to keep them in for 24 hours, 20 hours a day. You can keep them in. Whatever you want. Yeah. I'm going to put them in right now. <laughs> I can see your teeth I'd moving like apart to, as I'd we like were going. I'd like to send too. this to your orthodontists. Just so. <laughs> That's right. Invisalign. Here we go. <laughs> this um, episode brought to you by Marcus's Teeth. <laughs> can you even notice her? Are you a paid spokesperson? <laughs> um, no. So th- so this, this idea gets brought up, and all I can think about is, like, my parents going to Woodstock. And I'm like, psychedelics for healing. Isn't that wild that that's the first place your brain goes is to like, I mean, I mean, it's it's the conditioning of society. Totally. totally Yeah. And so it didn't make sense until I started doing my research and I said, okay, this is starting to make a little sense that these were really medicines that were abused as recreational drugs. 
give a damn. I was just like, someone help us. She was like, go do the psychedelic. Someone help us. I didn't know what he was doing. I didn't know. I didn't even know the name of it. I just trusted our friends. And so I was able to convince him to go. It's funny uh, when you talk to people like the psychonauts and and, mm -hmm. uh, like all our friends now who we love. Um, they're like, so what would you do? I'm like, oh, I got introduced to like this little psychedelic called Ibogaine. They're like, what? what? And I'm yeah. like, oh, and then like two days later, I did five MEO DMT. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? And, um, but yeah, I mean, we're talking about, um, have you ever done Ibogaine? Not Ibogaine, but uh, five MEO, yeah. Man, uh, what a tough, rough. Is that the most powerful uh, I mean, psychedelic you've I experienced? Mean, I you know, I'm biased. Yeah. Um, I, I think it is one of the, you know, it's not a classic psychedelic like, you know, the others that are a little bit more visual. Like this is, this is like a purely internal wow. experience. Yeah. It's like when you, you know, you could, I mean, you could take as much, not, not, not you can't, but like when you're, when you're dosed um, and your eye shades come off um, and you're like at the peak of your experience, you, you may see like a little bit of like streaks, but there's, that's it. Like you're not, quote unquote tripping right right it's not until you put your eye shades on like you go back you lie down because first off you can't walk um yeah. you're you get something called ataxia like your body like can't control itself it's very like you you have to when you ask to go to the restroom you have to ask because you can't walk there on your own wow yeah, is, you it, is it similar to like a paralysis or like a sleep paralysis <sighs> i don't know what it does to the body but it, yeah. it it doesn't allow you to like really be mobile so anybody saying like they're you know like this whatever doing I began and run, running around there, there's zero chance of that happening yeah like, you can't yeah um, but you're in this awakened dream state so once your once your um, eye shades are on like you're in the movie and your movie is your life I mean it's nuts it's like you can I, and everybody has similar experiences they are subjective but like there is at one point where you literally are watching your brain defrag itself so like you have all these files and you're just watching the files like just compress you know, and, and when you come out of it, you literally feel like you're clear headed, you're reset, you're, you're sharp again. And it's, that's why it's a wonderful medicine, you mm -hmm. know, uh, done properly and with the proper medical support. Um, but then you do visit all those, you do have all those subjective experiences and you can have them like one-on-one -on -one where you're, you're, you are the person talking to whatever trauma or whatever thing that's affecting you, or you can be like kind of above it watching yourself do it so it's like all or you can be like the other side where you're watching you're talking to yourself you know yeah. so it's like yeah everybody's experience is different but it relatively the same right you you, you just kind of go through these these same experiences but you're talking about you go in there almost at the like the lowest of your life some people call it rock bottom um and you come out almost at the highest of your life where like it's you have like purpose again you're you're lightweight you feel and dealt dealt with the trauma i, I have not done i again Mm -hmm. But I have listened to Marcus's story and yeah. hundreds of other and veterans in our program. Enough. Yeah, yeah, that um, you know, it's it's really it's working on four key areas, and the trauma purging psychological piece is a huge part of it. There's the physiological piece with the brain. Ibogaine is very anti-addictive, so Marcus was like repulsed by alcohol for like nine months after wow. treatment. I didn't drink for a whole year afterwards. I, I didn't even wow. want to. The drugs out of your system, by the way, in 24 hours. So it's not the drug. Right? Yeah. And that's why people are like, oh, you know, three months, six months. Yeah. Whatever it did, it's the brain because the drug literally has a half-life of seven hours. So really in 14 hours, depending mm -hmm. on how you metabolize, it's gone. And so that's what's really cool about it. So no one can say, oh, it's the drug. Like, well, it's the drug that 
kind of reset you, but like yeah. it's everything else that keeps going because some people feel good for three months, six months, nine months, whatever it is, you know, and then you start to slip, right? And you're like, oh, I don't have that, that glow. But that's, that's why you need, once you're done, you need to start putting those habits, whatever it is, the meditation or the, yeah. you know, and then you can, you can continue on your successful healing like forever. But, you know, people have to get out of their mind. They do something one time and they're healed forever. No, it's right? a, it's a, con it's a continual pattern of work. It mm -hmm. takes work. It's work. There's no magic pill. No, yeah. you know, but it is definitely, it's definitely a reset. And, and yeah. I joke with people, I say, it's like a tourniquet. Like when you go in there, like you're bleeding out, like this kind of puts a tourniquet on and allows you to like, um, get better. Was this session, you said it was, uh, I began one day, two days later was five, 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 five Yeah. And there's some, there's a little bit of, um, uh, you know, argument and opinion about that. Like there's some people out there that think doing five MEO too quick after the Ibogaine experience is too much. You know, maybe there's too much serotonin release mm -hmm. in the brain. Mm -hmm. Others think it's perfect for like the cherry on top because Ibogaine is so deep and dark and five MEO literally can be one of the most like impactful and blissful experiences of your life. So it's a good they're synergistically uh, yeah, it's very, very synergistic yeah. That, yeah. that, you know, you just got beat down so bad and then now you're getting brought back up. Um, so I think, you know, I think research is going to show like what is good and what's not good. But, you know, again, no one's coming out of these things like in the negative light. Right. right? Um, and, and, and there's like few and far between that have negative experiences. Most of them was because they either stopped. They didn't do anything. They didn't have any integration. They didn't talk to a therapist or coach. They just assumed that they were going to be better forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I actually don't think you can say that no one has had a bad experience. Everyone comes out on top because if you aren't prepared and you aren't going to a reputable facilitator and you don't have the integration and preparation before, I'm sure it can be really confusing yeah. and potentially traumatizing. Um, I think Marcus is referencing the veterans and spouses in our program because we provide all of that uh, supplemental support. Yeah. And that's why I get scared with stuff like, you know, Ibogaine, people shouldn't be doing Ibogaine underground without the support because first off, you know, there is a cardiac risk. It's, you know, it's minimal. If you screen, if you screen properly, like you're good. Um, but the problem is people lie on their screening. They won't do EKGs. They won't mm. get blood work. They'll lie about what's in their system. If they're heroin addicts, right? Like, so that's why you have to go, have to go to a reputable place because again, these are not drugs that we should, you know, take lightly. Like the, with the yeah, it's like, not a household drug. You no. know, you're not going to bring this, you're not going to bring Ibogaine to Coachella no. and uh, <laughs> no. party with a flower crown, popping Ibogaine. I joke with people. Toads. I joke yeah. with people. I'm like, if you're doing Ibogaine for a recreational purpose, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know. So what, what was the reaction from some people in the veteran community when you came back and you told them about your experience? So two of my best friends I served with um, were in a car together, actually. I don't know where they were in Virginia Beach or Hawaii or something. And I got on the phone with them and I told them this experience of exactly what we're talking about now. And they tell the story, by the way, they'll be here. Um, one of oh, them cool. will be, so I'll let him tell the story to you, uh, tomorrow, but they got off the phone. They turned to each other and they're like, the fuck happened to Mark? <laughs> it does sound crazy. And honestly, yeah. like we didn't want to tell anyone because we were afraid that we would be judged, judged for saying you needed help judged for getting help judged for what kind of help yeah, and you got judged for doing psychedelics right right, right. right. yeah, yeah I, did, so I went to mexico and did drugs right god we, that conditioning is so real 
Yeah, and especially in our community where it's mm -hmm. like, oh, everyone's you know sort of like jockeying for um, masculinity. Who like, can be the strongest and work through their problems by punching right. a wall instead of right? Like I'm good here. And yeah, it's clear that you're not. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he told a couple of his friends that he thought could benefit from it. They went down there. They had really powerful experiences. We were raising money for them. We were actually contacted. Um, Marcus's treatment was ironically on Veterans Day in 2017. And the next month in December, a woman contacted him and said, I want to give to a veteran organization, but I want to make sure that it goes to a veteran. I don't want to pay like overhead. Mm. And he goes, I have a couple buddies. I just had this experience. I have a couple buddies that could really use it. If you would give I have some friends that want to go to Mexico and do drugs. Can, <laughs> yeah, can yeah, you donate yeah. to that cause? <laughs> No, but it, my like, buddies want a trip. Hard. She was like, whatever you, yeah. you know, whatever. That's amazing. So, yeah, I think so they donated 25000 She donated like $20,000, mm -hmm. and we just gave it directly to the retreat center, facil facilitator, doctor, and um, we started sending our friends. And then they started having these same experiences, and then we were like, oh, we'll raise more money. And mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. we just started this grassroots movement that became like this crazy wildfire. And um, we didn't want to talk about it still. It was so stigmatized. And yeah. so I wanted 12 months to go by and I wanted 12 other individuals to have the same experience. So that way we knew that it would last because it seemed too good to be true and that it would work for more than just one or three people. Mm -hmm. um, and at the 11 and a half month mark, one of my best friend's husbands took his life. And I saw in a journal that I wrote in just yesterday morning, I read the journal for the first time and it said, um, we can no longer stay quiet. We have, uh, the, like, you know, the feelings I'm feeling are like determination. This cannot happen again. So in honor of Chad, I will speak out. We will speak out. We will never, we will do our best to never let this happen again in our community. We were, when we were in his funeral, that feeling, you know, was reiterated. And I was just overcome with emotion of, and conviction of like, fuck it. Yeah. I don't care what the costs are. I don't care if it's reputational. I don't care. I left a very, very, very uh, solid career in real estate to do this. And, it, it, you know, money didn't matter. Reputation didn't matter. No one was standing with us at that point. We were, like, ridiculed and made fun of. Someone said we were starting a cult. But we were just like, <laughs> this can't, this can't. We can't let suicide become an epidemic in our community because we've already been through so many war funerals. Yeah. Suicide funerals like would be, would have been been the next wave potentially to hit our community, and we've already been through enough. So yeah. we just decided that we're going to speak out. We're going to form an organization, and so within the next few months, we had our IRS application submitted, uh, our articles of incorporation filed, mm -hmm. and it feels there like was the birth of vets. the 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 hardest. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it it seems like the hardest part of this entire experience for you guys and for others wouldn't be the getting money wouldn't be logistically finding somebody to give you a pill it'd be getting uh, somebody you know to say yes and to actually like be willing to do it was the there work. was a lot of convincing in the beginning in initially in, in the, at the start there was a lot of people like this is crazy but i trust you you know or yeah. you say okay just do some do some research read some of this and you know get back to me and um, like I get that though, like I was that way. I mean, I literally took me like a, a year, year yeah, before yeah. I committed. And you know, individuals are still doing that. But the good thing is now there's a lot of information out there, and so it's very easy. 
And like, you know, if, if one of your buddies does something where they have had success, you really just trust them. I mean, I had an, I had an individual Naval Academy guy, super bright, incredible athlete, incredible seal. Um, he's like, Marcus, I've read every scientific piece for the last two years on psychedelic medicine. He's like, and I still was like, hmm, this is crazy. He's like, I talked to you for 30 seconds. And he's like, I committed because like now I know somebody personally. And, and again, you know, it's not, it's not all fun and games. Like this is, as you know, um, it's hard work. Is, mm-hmm. It is hard work. I think there's a, a misperception that it's like, oh, an excuse to go to Mexico and do drugs. Like, sure. No, that's actually the first thing from the truth. Anyone signing up to go do this is signing up for possibly the hardest thing they'll ever do in their entire life. But, but I think nothing works better, faster, quicker. I mean, like I know, you know, I look at it now and I know I'm going to go once every year, year and a half, um, may not be Ibogaine, but like, you know, it's been Ibogaine. I've been going like every year, year and a half. Like I know I'm going to go back in probably like February. Mm-hmm. Like I'm looking at it going, man, like I know how tough it's going to be. Like it's not going to be easy, but like I need it, right? Like you mm-hmm. get a little anxiety or you feel like you need to work on things. You know it works, right? Like yeah. I'm not just going to go do talk therapy anymore. Like no, I know fear, it works. fear is, I mean, anxiety is rooted in fear, right? And, mm-hmm. and it's, such a, it's such a motivator. And, and if you're willing to overcome that fear to do the work, then yeah, you're going to get the result mm-hmm. that you want. Do, do you see... I mean, tell me if this is crazy, but do you see a path toward getting this talked about more by people in the military that are kind of higher ups? Like right now, there seems to be a cycle, the way you described of therapists and psychologists going out to talk to people for 20 minutes. They take it three hours. It, it, do, you, do you have a goal or, or a vision for a path toward getting this integrated within more of the mainstream consciousness, within specifically within the military as an alternative treatment option? Is that something you think they would ever open up to? Even just a dialogue about it. Not like the military sending people to Mexico, but is, do you yeah, think? Yeah, we're having it, Brent. Like we're, it's, it's happening. Yeah. So there, we're, hap- we're, we're speaking to senior military leaders, uh, both in the DOD and, and in the VA. Um, are we allowed to talk about the... I would, I would leave that. There's a... The, the thing there's more fun week. things that the thing can next be week. secret for now. Yeah, the yeah. thing next week is going to be um, there's going to be a press conference in D.C. and it's going to mm-hmm. be announced. Are we sending Biden to Mexico? Yeah, that'd be incredible. <laughs> His son already went, but um, yeah. <laughs> um, no. Um, but it's going to be a big deal because, yeah. like, it means that people are listening, and on both sides of the aisle, and uh, I think it's pretty exciting. So it is exciting. I think that um, the active duty component. Oh, I don't know. That's tricky territory. Our lane is veterans. Um, yeah. yeah. But all active duty personnel eventually become veterans. And so can, is there a way to alleviate suffering before the wheels come off like it did for our family? Yeah. yeah. I think that or just to get a tune up, you I, know, like guys that are struggling. I don't mean to cut you off, oh. but I just cut you off. See, mm-hmm. um, that awareness. Thanks <laughs> to awareness. Thank you. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to cut you off right now. So hold on. Um, <laughs> respectfully. But <laughs> respectfully. In gratitude. Shut the fuck up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um shit where where were we oh preventative for, uh, yeah so um it it doesn't mean a person is like damaged or ruined or a rock bottom but maybe is just wanting to to get get tuned up like needs uh, you know he tore his shoulder and wants to get back in the game you know maybe it becomes 
uh, a case where you know individuals are able to heal and then get back in the fight. Or if they heal, then maybe they decide, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. But I think they should potentially have the choice to go either way because I don't think these medicines are turning like everybody into hippies. Unless you want to be a hippie, sure, go be a hippie. Mm -hmm. But if you want to potentially get better and then you're like right back in the in the scrum, like why not, right? So, yeah. Someone said to us that, um, you know, we've really failed American soldiers in having this creative outlet after battle. So they like, said you failed. Oh American no, 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 soldiers. not us. But like, like as a nation, we've failed. Oh right, right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. American troops in having some sort of a creative outlet after battle. So like in every warrior culture, there was some sort of a an intentional reset and a community healing, whether it was you know Native Americans and peyote or samurai, you know, whatever these different cultures outlets were we don't really have that yeah, so the americans drinking beer the Germany. culture is like go drink your face into the ground and right. the culture is also don't say when you have a, a problem because then you're going to get pulled off the line and if you get pulled off the line then you're going to lose your identity and your community and it's going to be horrible so you might as well just like grit your teeth and keep going um that keeps that will catch up with people i didn't even think about that. i know you guys got to go in a few minutes but i uh real quick on on that note i didn't even think about the historical significance of other communities of people centering around uh, a medicine like that. they they all did it like we're like the, oh my god we forgot about we forgot how to like reset like all these warrior cultures. What what other ones uh, in addition to Native Americans? I mean, I'm told that's going to be my Spartans, research project for the night. Like but Roman, like all these other different um, classes had different ways. Even if they weren't like even we're, if we're it talking was about like sustainable medicines. agriculture, you know, it was some mm -hmm, sort of mm -hmm. a creative. It was it was something to allow an individual to reset. Yeah. Before they went back into battle. Wow. And that could be a bunch of different things. You know, I don't think we've. We, we, don't we haven't really done. Have we just that. keep going. We just like yeah. keep, like just get back on the train. Get back on the train. Um, it, but it's our that's our culture, right? Yeah. It's like you know, build big, fast, go, um, and um, come home for a couple of weeks. Get on yeah. Twitter, yell at people, yeah. and then go back yeah. overseas. Yeah. And and you know, some people can do that. And I, I, I again, I, I freaking commend them. I well, bow down, but not everybody. I, can. Marcus, mm -hmm. you also have to. Amber. You also have to think about how many people are coming apart at the seams. And you might not always be able to tell because people would have said that about us. Just because they appear to be doing okay doesn't mean that they are, right, you know? Like, people would have looked at us and thought like, oh, they're an all-American family, and- Here's my favorite, my favorite comment, fair enough. <laughs> the the um, truth of comment. it was fair enough. totally something different. Yeah. So you never know when someone's struggling, especially when you've been conditioned to not admit it america mm -hmm. so now so now vets um raises funds to send veterans on these types of trips that is that the main initiative now yeah yeah so we provide funding for veterans who are leaving the united states mm -hmm. for access to psychedelic therapies we do provide funding for ketamine therapy ketamine assisted psychotherapy stateside mm -hmm. but most of our grant recipients are leaving the country most of them are doing the ibogaine 5-meo protocol we don't diagnose we don't treat we don't right you're not on the medical side not at but all. Can, obviously can. you vet the places they go totally. to. we vet the places yeah. so we are sending people to um you know other vetted retreats yeah um, it's not a hut no, with some dude named Dan. in certain areas yeah. where it's legal um yeah not in the laundromat mm -hmm. um 
what else? Ayahuasca, we've written, you know, is there Is there a, a want to bring some of those psychoactive retreat experiences stateside? Or I mean, that would be amazing if it wasn't criminal. Right. We're a 501c3, right. so we have to abide by federal law, and yeah. we are unfortunately under the um, thumb of the Controlled Substances Act. So anything that's scheduled, we can't provide funding for. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's happening. So, you know, Oregon, you will be able to travel to Oregon in the next two years, and and get psilocybin therapy from a medical establishment. Same mm-hmm. thing now, you know, Prop 122 in Colorado mm-hmm. is doing the same thing. They're actually fast-forwarding it. It'll be a year. So they've taken kind of all the lessons from Oregon and have already applied them. Um, but again, it'll be federally illegal. So I'm not really sure how the rules yeah. are going to... wild. You know, and again, how much are they going to charge? Like, is it going to be $6,000 a pop where, like, only certain people could afford that? Um, so I still think there's a lot. But I think, you know, Amber used to joke and say, we've, we've finished our vet's mission once uh, we don't have to fund people going outside the U.S. They can just, you know, they can Like, have what's the goal for vets? Yeah. To not exist. To not be around, you know, to anymore. Not oh, exist yeah. Wow. Because you know? there's, yeah. th- because our government has done what's necessary to take care of those that have defended this nation. So, mm-hmm. you know, w- uh, nonprofits can only do so much. Our donors can only provide so much funding to keep the lights on. Um, at the end of the day, these guys and gals were willing to give their lives for this country and this country should be taking care of them, not a nonprofit. You know, it's, it's, um, the therapies are so far superior to anything else currently available. It's caught on like wildfire in the veteran community. At minimum, we need to get more research going like, uh, ayahuasca or ibogaine or five MEO. These are all like the main therapies that our grant recipients are pursuing and they're really effective yeah yet they're scheduled right alongside crack cocaine methamphetamine heroin it's not the same you know they have a high therapeutic use and they're actually being used to treat addiction so you know to be scheduled to alongside, be scheduled with addictive drugs when exactly. you're a medicine that treats addiction exactly is wild it's just a complete yeah. lack of education so we're educating we're advocating we want rescheduling we want more research we're totally backing therapeutic use we're concerned about veterans who are hearing these stories and thinking that this is a miracle cure and thinking that they can just get a bag of mushrooms and go out into a field and have this life-transforming experience it could backfire if the government doesn't step in and do something Mm -hmm. let's get more research going at minimum because we know the research will look really freaking good yeah i'm looking at the research right now there he is. <laughs> Here I am. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much <laughs> for you. being down to do this. There's so much more to talk about. I mean, we can do it again. We're going to have a great weekend. It's going to be a phenomenal weekend. Big parties. Uh, right now, you and I need to do a push-up contest before you guys go get dinner. <laughs> and then um, I have a tight, we'll be off. Um, but Marcus no, is wearing on. a <laughs> It's already about my, to pop, and, dude. And my shoulder hurts, by the <laughs> way, so I can't do it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> All good. I appreciate you guys. Thank, thank you. you so All much. right. It's been See everybody. awesome. And that's it. I love these guys, man. Uh, Marcus Capone, uh, we did do a push-up contest immediately following this podcast episode. And even though he's got a foot and 100 pounds on me of pure muscle, I am happy to say that he only beat me by 976 push-ups, which is pretty good. Uh, considering <laughs> uh, Amber and Marcus Capone do incredible work, check out more of what they do at vetsolutions.org. You can donate, you can research, you can learn, you can reach out, you can be a part 
of an incredible mission and an incredible family. Subscribe to the podcast. We got more episodes coming every week. You can follow the podcast at Good Trip Podcast on Instagram. You can follow me at Brent Pella. I repost clips all the time and check back here every week. Give us a star and a like and a rating. You know how all that stuff works on Spotify and iTunes. I appreciate y'all so much. Have a wonderful week and I'll see you next time. Peace.